Hey guys, this is Ben. Uh, before the episode gets started, I just want to hop on real quick and let you know that uh, this episode does contain conversations regarding uh, sexual assault uh, and specifically sexual assault uh, towards minors. Uh, if this is something that you know is not something that you are super comfortable with, uh, we totally understand. Uh, if you do feel that this is an episode that you need to skip because of that, we totally understand. And we do hope that you check out the other content that we have. You can find all of that on vitermedia.com. Uh, but yes, I just want to go ahead and let y'all know that ahead of time. Uh, but if you uh, do continue to listen, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elad. And y'all, it's still October, so we got another film to talk about that's a scary movie. Yes, uh, we have talked about everything from modern classics, uh, 80s films that nobody remembers. To another 80s film that nobody remembers. And this week we're going to talk about an 80s film that people remember. Hey. Guys, that's literally everything we've talked about, so... This month, which is pretty much everything. <laughs> Congratulations on getting to this point of the uh, to this point of the program. Uh, so this week we watched the 1984 classic "A Nightmare on Elm Street," um, starring Robert England, uh, Heather Langenkamp, uh, Ronnie—I can't say your last name—Ronnie uh, Howard. <laughs> yeah, uh, Johnny Depp in I his first it. starring film role, and rounding out the cast as Lieutenant Thompson. That's not an alto Saxon. That's not a baritone Saxon. That's John Saxon. Good one. <laughs> Someone made that joke for me. Um, but anyway, yeah, this movie was written and directed by Wes Craven, a one of the horror film greats. Uh, rest in peace, Wes. Um, this movie was made on a budget of $1.8 million, and its gross was $25.5 million. So, pretty solid return. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think in terms of the 80s movies, at least, I know that it's got the biggest return of anything. Um, I don't remember if it has a bigger return than, uh, than um, uh, crap, what's the movie? Friday the 13th? No, I was thinking Halloween. Midsummer. I was oh. thinking Midsummer. Um, I'm a little curious to see how it compares to other, you know, big slasher films from the late 70s, early 80s. I can find that out in just a minute. Uh, but first, uh, let me tell you the ratings on this movie. So, pretty high ratings all around. Uh, IMDb give the, gives this movie a 7.5 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes has it as, at a 94%. Uh, Metacritic has it at 76%, and Google has it at 91%. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, if you don't know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, this is the movie that introduced us to the incredible, uh, Frederick Krueger. Um. <laughs> Frederick. Yes. Frederick. Freddy to his friends. <laughs> Freddy to his friends, victims, everybody in between. Rick. For short, um, in some areas. But uh, but yeah, and while I pull up, says Fred. While I pull up uh, how it compares to other slashers in terms of budgets and everything like that, anybody want to uh, kind of break down the the overall story of this movie and 
pretty much the beginning of the Nightmare on Elm Street mythos. Because, I mean, it's it's all explained right here. Yeah, uh, sure. I will do my best while Doug is looking up that other information. Uh, so in this movie, we've got some uh, teenagers living in the 80s, as you do with pretty much any slasher film. And uh, <laughs> while all of them have this dream about this guy in a red and green sweater trying to come and kill them. And it turns out it's Freddy Krueger. And then he almost completely succeeds. And th- that's pretty much it. And and the big thing is he shows up in their nightmares. Right. And uh, the, it starts to blur the line between dream and reality because they're having nightmares about him, but it's, you know, like he scratches them with his claws and they wake up and have the scratch marks and all mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And then we also found out towards the end of the film that in the nightmares they can take stuff from him or him and bring him into the real world, which is really cool. Yeah, it's a fun party trick. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that really sets Freddy Krueger apart uh, in this sort of, uh, in this sort of um, realm of 80s slashers is that where Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees uh, has to use a blade or a, um, has to use a blade or a machete, um, which is also a blade. I don't know why I had to distinguish the two of them. I mean, um, Freddy Krueger also technically uses a blade. Yes, but as you go forward in the series, he uses that less and less. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, where Michael and Jason have to use very practical means to kill their victims, uh, Freddy uses a lot of like fantasy elements because he's literally a master of dreams. He infiltrates people's dreams. He can make them experience basically whatever he wants them to. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, so I have the numbers for you. In terms of uh, budgetary uh, comparisons, this movie actually, of the big three slasher uh, movies, um, this one actually came in last place. So Halloween comes in first at a uh, budget of 325000 grossed $47.1 million. Wow. Um, at nineteen in nineteen seventy eight. Uh, That's a whole lot of money. Crazy. Um, and then, uh, and then Friday the Thirteenth. The budget was five hundred thousand, um, and they grossed thirty nine million. Wow. So even being a bigger budget film, it still didn't even make yeah. as much money as either of those. Yeah. Uh, which it's it's really interesting because this movie also of the three, has the biggest director at the time. Because, uh, I mean, John Carpenter now, and immediately after uh, Halloween, he got a bunch of bigger film roles. He got The Thing. He got um, he got Firecatcher. Uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of really big movies. Um, Christine. And I honestly cannot remember who the director of Friday the 13th is. Like, I mean, he was an unknown, but they had Tom Savini doing the makeup, who's, like, a staple of the industry. So, yeah, so, I mean, you know, at this point in his career, Wes Craven's, like, a master of the genre. You know, at this point, he's done The Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, uh, Swamp Thing. Uh, not The Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing! thing. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite song. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's easily, like, the biggest director at this time, and yet still this movie didn't make the box office that... The other two did. Well, that's really interesting. It really is. Um, but uh, but yeah. So that's that's enough of like the the cold hard facts. So let's get into it. It's uh, so interesting. 
you know what? I wanted to do the numbers on this thing. Give me a break. It's just funny. It's just, it was just... I'm hey, still I laughing like at the swamp thing. Oh, thank, thank you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, so what are our experiences with this movie? I've now seen this movie twice. Mm. I watched it two times today. Today? Yes. Did you like it that much? Well, I watched it the first time, uh, enjoyed it, and then I texted Elijah, like, hey, you want to get dinner before the podcast? And he's like, yes, uh, but I still need to, uh, watch the movie. So I was like, cool, I'll come over and watch the movie with you. So I did. So you've seen it most of two times. Yeah. I don't think you can count it as two times. Why not? You didn't finish the first time. Yeah, I did. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I finished it after I got off the phone with you. Oh, you didn't say, well, I'm going to watch this again later, so I'll just save it. No. Oh, okay. So you did I like it a lot. I was 10 minutes from the end of the movie. I wasn't going to stop. <laughs> oh, okay. I think so, I would have stopped. So you did like it a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, I thought this, i tell you what I thought this movie was. I thought this movie was Amityville Horror. That's what I thought I was going to be watching. Okay. That's why I said I thought I had seen it, because I saw that movie when I was younger. Okay. And I just didn't remember which one I thought. Because I was like, oh, they're on a street, right? There's a house. Probably Nightmare on Elm Street, but no. I mean, that's it. That's my experience. <laughs> I mean, I those things it. are I'm right. So, there I'm is so a happy street. That we they can... are in a house. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, Amityville Horror is closer to like The Shining than, than this is. Oddly enough, in both of them, um, the house becomes a really big part of the uh, of the franchise as a whole, even though n- the remaining movies don't necessarily take place at the mo- at the house. Um, yeah. Well, it has a different cast, right? Not each movie as as they go on. Well, yeah, but I mean, but but the Elm Street house, like always shows up in a nightmare movie oh really yeah it always shows up like do they the same family continue to live there no just the house because after the third after the third movie all the thompsons are dead um spoilers oh i didn't know sorry um well we all saw it for the first time today what about you except for doug yeah uh doug has doug has seen this movie before um the last time i saw this movie was back in high school um and I have not watched it until today, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's a lot better than I remember it. I remember in high school, and honestly for just a majority of my life, I've never really liked Johnny Depp. And for some reason, like, that made me not like this movie as much in high school. He was on the list of actors who, like, ruined a movie for me, and I don't really know why. Did you ever watch 21 Jump Street? Uh, the movie? No. Or the, the TV show? show? No. No. Oh. I did watch the movie where he shows up as a cameo and has a cameo in it. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, well, he was in the show. He was the lead in the show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I just never watched it. it. You know, it's not bad. I'll be honest. It's not bad. <laughs> never saw it. Yeah. Just, just saying. He's in uh, it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, watching this movie today, like, good lord, it's a really good movie. It holds up. Um... But uh but yeah. Uh let's let's get into it, fellas. Um uh well, I mean with every horror movie we've talked about this month, one thing that we have always or that we've touched on with every single thing or with each one of them is the score of the film. And I think the score in this one is pretty solid. Uh though I know Elijah and I both had one kind of big issue with it. 
Yeah, um, the I I thought the music was effective for the most part, but I think there were bits that were too much a product of their time to be timeless. So they might have been effective at the time, but they're not now. There were a couple of scenes where I thought it was about to break into a Michael Jackson music video. Yep, we got some like synth '80s pop yeah. during like a chase scene, and it's just like this does not fit at all. It felt all. like uh, it felt like the Thriller music video or something like that. And uh, had it been other music or even silent, it would have been so scary. But the music made me think they're about to start dancing. Well, you know, I I think this kind of like Doug mentioned it earlier. I think maybe before the podcast, and that this is this is kind of not a horror movie in a lot of ways. I think it's a horror movie. It it turns the slasher genre kind of on its oh, head. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily well, like classify it as like a true slasher, but it definitely is horror. The point I was trying to make is that with the music, because I know what you're talking, I, you, you reminded me with the music, like, it's uh, it's like the music is more of action type. Like, it's still like a unsettling, creepy type of action-y music, but like during the chase scenes, it's not like scary it's just like poppy yeah people are people are running there's a little there's a little chase going on maybe the cops chasing down the the bad guy that's what it felt like to me what i find really funny is that uh you know i'm trying to like i'm trying to like get like the specific melody of the uh of the score in my head right now because i do think it's actually a good score um i mean i think the the synth music of it doesn't really bother me, um, mainly because it is the eighties. I wouldn't say that it bothers me. It's more just it took me out of it a little bit. Yeah, okay. because I, mean, I I found this movie really scary. Yeah. But then there were moments that should have been scary that weren't because it sounded like they were you know in a Michael Jackson music video. Well, I'll i get i get where you're coming from and i'm just gonna agree to disagree but i'd say the one that really got me was um when uh he is chasing nancy through the school and it's like just a lot of like synth and it's just really took me out of it because like that whole scene is is honestly like one of the I don't want to say scary because like it didn't scare me. There's but, like, definite suspense to it. You also haven't really right. seen Freddy right in full effect yet. It's all the creepiest or one of the creepier scenes, yeah. I would say, because like it's right after we see um, Tina uh, in like the body bag saying like "Hi, Nancy," and like she's following her, and like the whole thing is like super creepy. You also get the hall monitor who says, "Where's your pass?" and you get the amazing line, "Screw your pass." Yeah, that was something. That line does come come up. Uh, they they say it again uh, in uh, in one of the sequels. Of course they do. But um, but uh, but yeah. Um, I I get where you're coming from. I will say that the only thing that really sticks out to me about this score now, because I can't get the actual melody, because it blends a lot with the Halloween score. Um. That yeah yeah I I thought of that several times yeah that didn't occur to me at the moment that I was watching it but now that I'm trying to remember the score that's all I can remember is the Halloween score um 
But, uh, but yeah, uh, Charles Bernstein did the score for this. He also did the score for the remake. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Interesting. Uh, another uh, bit of the music uh, that I know you liked, Doug, was like the little, um, I don't want to call it a nursery school rhyme. Yeah, but no, it is. It is. Uh, the, uh, the old. The jump rope song. The jump rope girls. Yeah. Yeah. The old, uh, the old one, two phrase coming for you. Three, four, better lock your doors. Five, six, get your crucifix. Seven, eight, it's too late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Mm-hmm. Love it. Totally thought you were actually going to sing that. I, I mean, it, Tristan expressed earlier that he would rather me not <laughs> sing it, so I won't. It's okay, Tristan. We all know that you get a little scared. I mean, you could sing it. <laughs> nah, it's fine. He it's fine. For our Patreon supporters. The, the time has <laughs> passed. The time has passed. Um... But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that is a piece of music that, like, comes up a lot. And I think, I think this is, like, a really good transition for us into, like, just the character of Freddy Krueger as, as a whole. Because part of the thing that really just separates A Nightmare on Elm Street as a franchise from all the other slashers, and when I say all the other slashers, I'm really just talking about ha- uh, Halloween and uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, and the thing that really separates it is, is that Freddy Krueger takes on almost this, like, mythic persona. Like, he is essentially a piece of folklore. I mean, there's times throughout the movie that he's essentially called the Boogeyman. Yeah, um, yeah, and, uh, in the, so in the seventh movie of this franchise, Wes Craven's A New Nightmare, which is a very meta commentary um oh yeah i read a little bit about that yeah so so real quick so there are seven movies in the original franchise of nightmare on elm street and then there's a remake and there is freddy versus jason um but the 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 original series ends with wes craven's a new nightmare which was kind of like his test footage for scream which came out a couple years later um and if you don't know scream is really just a it's a movie about horror movies, um, not in the documentary sense, but it's like these kids, they know all the rules of horror movies. They know theoretically how you make it out of a horror movie alive. Um, well, in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, it's all the character, all the actors who have been in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, they're in like the real world. So like Heather Langenkamp like, is married to a guy who I think is named after her actual husband. I don't think it's actually her husband. But, um... But, like, Wes Craven shows up as himself in the movie. (laughs) Uh, Robert Englund shows up as Robert Englund in the movie. And it just so happens... (laughs) It just so happens that, like, this spiritual demon who just looks a lot like Freddy Krueger... Is terrorizing the the real world. Interesting. Yeah, it's really meta. But it's, it's really not weird. Freddy Krueger. It's not. It's it's actually just a demon. But the only way that just human a mi- demon. It's just a demon. And the way that they justify it is in the movie, uh, Wes Craven says something to the effect of like, "Yes, he is a demon. I know that he looks like Freddy, but he's not Freddy. But in our minds, that's the closest we can come to comprehending what he actually looks like." is to make him kind of look like Freddy Krueger. I mean, he's played by Robert Englund. Yeah, like, I mean, he's played exactly like Freddy. Uh, he's a little He's a little darker. He's about where he's at in this movie. Yeah, go ahead. I read that 
Wes Craven was trying to make Freddy Krueger as scary as he had envisioned him because he didn't initially apparently make him as scary as he wanted him to be. And that in this movie, he got to do that. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, mean, I know initially so I was they dark, didn't like, want uh, Freddy Krueger to just be a child murderer. They wanted him to be a child molester, which we do get in the remake. I know I was reading that. Um, and then some. Right. But I think it was deemed like too dark for uh, when the first one came out. Hey guys, what's up? It's your pal Ben. Y'all already know why I'm here. I'm here to give you some announcements. Uh, first of all, I do just want to thank each and every one of you for listening to this podcast. Um, honestly, just thank you. Uh, I really don't have anything else to add to that. You know, I, yeah, I mean, just thank you. Uh, now, if you are interested in showing your support in some other ways, well, the easiest thing can do, that you can do is the thing that you're already doing, and that's just listening to us. Um, you know, just, you know, helping us get more people to listen, uh, or listening to the same podcast over and over. I mean, honestly, that is super beneficial to us. You know, if you have friends that like movies, friends that like podcasts, also share this with them. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show in other ways, which you can do, you can buy some of our merch. We've got some stickers. We've got some buttons. Uh, you can check all of that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. Uh, one other really cool way that you can support us is you can check out our Patreon. Uh, we've got all sorts of cool bonus content, early access episodes. Uh, there's something else that you want to see on there? Let us know. We'll figure out how to do it. You can check all that out at patreon.com slash vitermedia. Uh, if you want to support a specific show, what you can do, you can go onto the show page of whatever show it is that you're listening to. Be sure to leave a rating interview, and we would greatly appreciate it. Now, that's all I've got. Uh, be sure to check out vitermedia.com for all of our other stuff. Now, let's get back to the show. So, like, with what you were saying, I mean, with what you were saying, Tristan, I mean, one of the biggest things that happened with Freddy Krueger is uh, something that happens with a lot of horror characters is that he became the star of the show. Like, people didn't come to the... People didn't come to watch a Nightmare on Elm Street movie uh, to see people survive. They came to see Frey Krueger kill people. So that was the thing, is, like, Frey just became more of, like, a pop culture icon. You know, he spewed one-liners, told jokes, like, turn... One of his kills is he turns a guy into, like, basically Mario from Super Mario Brothers and kills him with a Nintendo Power Glove. I mean, I feel like that's how a lot of these movies end up. Because, like... You... They have too many Nintendo Power Gloves lying around. No, I mean, like, you've got these, like, slasher films that are more known for who the killer is mm-hmm. than yeah. who the protagonist is. Like, I mean, you've got Halloween, who's got Jamie Lee Curtis's character, but... I don't know for sure. That well, Laurie Strode is only in the first. She's only in the first two movies, and then she shows up a couple other times throughout the series. Right. But I mean, it's but not mostly, her story. It's Michael Myers' right. story. So I mean, it makes sense that you know, with the Nightmare movies, it becomes Freddy's story because I feel like that's what 
people are coming to like they're coming to see people die. Yeah, but I mean, read into that however you will about the state of humanity, but that's what we do for enjoyment. Maybe, maybe on some of them, but usually there's like a story. Yeah, but like I mean, like that's 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 a big reason as to why Wes Craven wanted to revisit a Nightmare on Elm Street with a new nightmare because he took like several years off from the franchise. Like and said, like I'm done. Um, cause I think he has a writing credit on every single movie, but he only directed the first one. Uh, he only directed a nightmare on Elm street one new nightmare. And that's it. He's got a writing credit. I think on everything except for, uh, except for those two he directs. Um, so, I mean, he told them after the sixth movie, he was like, no, I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and this was the way he was like, I'm going to try bring Freddy back. All of this to say, this was the point I was trying to make by bringing up a new nightmare. Uh, going back to the fact that Freddy takes on this like mythic proportion is Heather Langenkamp says in the movie, she's like, you know, more kids know about Freddy Krueger that more kids believe in Freddy Krueger than believe in Santa Claus. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of true. Yeah. I think one thing that really helps that is how well this script is written, especially compared to at least the other slasher films we've watched this month. Wes Craven is so good at writing slasher. He's so good at writing teen dialogue mm-hmm. for slasher movies because you look at all these kids and not one of them is solely confined to like a slasher trope. Like you don't have the one the one person who's just like who's just like the the promiscuous sexy teen. You don't have one person who's just like the dumb jock. Every single one of them has a couple layers to their character. And Nancy Thompson, I mean, is incredible. Uh, the uh, the author that I mentioned in last week's episode, Carol Clover, who coined the term "final girl." Um, she cites Nancy Thompson as, like, the real starting point for, like, when Final Girls, like, started to really take charge. Um, yeah. Uh, something that was interesting for me, uh, like, when I first started the movie, I didn't, like, I, I didn't really know much about it, so I wasn't expecting Nancy to make it through the film. I thought, you know, Tina was going to be, like, the main girl throughout the movie, and then she dies, like, ten minutes in. It's like... Well, guess not. Uh, yes, that was a surprise. They led you to believe that Tina would be the main character at the beginning. Yeah, um, and I mean, like I was saying, I mean, I just think that that goes into like how well he wrote the script, and he does it. He does it again in New Nightmare. He does it again in Scream. Like when you have someone who just so understands the horror genre, like Wes Craven does, you're gonna get somebody who's able to write a script that both meets the expectation and also supersedes them. And again, I just think that's something that helps a nightmare on Elm street stand out from a lot of other slashers. Cause you know, you think slashers, you think, Oh yeah, cheesy film, super predictable, blah, blah, blah. And this like, I mean, it's still kind of predictable, um, but it's actually well-written. Like the dialogue is stuff that makes sense. Yeah, like, there's not, like, blatant plot holes as to, like, well, that doesn't add up at all. Um, no, I mean, I think I think Wes Craven knew how to write a horror movie, and I think he just showed off right here, like, how good he is at doing it. I, I think the acting in this 
Well, the I guess the characters really, the acting was definitely a major part of it. They just felt real. They felt like real people. They didn't yeah, feel like they weren't like stereotypes. And you mentioned this before. They weren't like caricatures of how you know people think that high school is or something like that. I mean, they had their interests, of course, but like you know, they're just human beings. They're not like trying to fit themselves into a like a click or anything. Yeah, they also all had really great chemistry with each other. Yeah, like um, when <clears throat> we were first introduced to uh, Tina's boyfriend, um, whose name I can't remember. I can't Wasn't it Rod? Rod. I think it is Rod or Ron, but yeah, uh, I think it was Rod. I think Rod. Uh, bottom line, R O something. Right. I I hated his character because uh, he comes across essentially as a douche. But by the time like his character dies, like you see that like yeah he had his douchey qualities, but like he was actually you know like close with the rest of this group, which was really interesting. And also like I mean you know the May comes on screen, you know your first inclination is like oh he's like this like sex crazed jock. Mm-hmm. Um. But the minute he realizes that Tina's in danger, like his whole character just gets flipped around. Right. And it's like with that flip, I'm like, I kind of like this guy. Yeah. He's he's very sympathetic. And I think one of the reasons that these characters have such great chemistry is because it's such a small cast. It's such a small group of Mm -hmm. kids. Um, and I mean, of course, like there are plenty of adults to fill out the cast, but like there's such a small group of kids. Usually you have like seven or eight in a slasher film and you only have four here. Right. And because of that, you get to be really invested in all of them. I mean, Tina's only in 10 minutes of the movie, but you are invested in her. You want her to make it. Right. Do the rest of the films in the series kind of follow that or do they struggle more with that? (sighs) So... You know those graphs that are like exponential increase and exponential decline? Yeah. That's what you get with the Nightmare series because they start going downhill. They never hit like zero. They never hit Jason Takes Manhattan levels mm-hmm. of just horribleness. But it's um, like getting ever closer to it. It just gets it. closer and closer and closer because... The problem is, is that the characters become more and more just their stereotype. Um, like, uh, like the second movie in the series, I told Ben this. Um, it's really notable because instead of a final girl, you have a final boy, and I forget his name, but like, but like you kind of take these these uh these tropes and kind of turn them on their head because in a market that's mostly centered on male audience members the second movie is shot very much with sexualizing like the male body so it's not like it's not like exploitive or anything like that it's not like slumber party massacre but you definitely get less of the male gaze and more of the female gaze um so yeah, so that's present in the second one, and the characters are really fleshed out, and there's a lot of like trauma and like psychological horror going on in the second one. Uh, the third movie, third movie is really cool and it's really outstanding because they bring back Nancy, so you get to expand on her character. You get some really solid supporting characters. Um, you have a black character who makes it to the end of the movie, and like 
plays a significant role in the movie. That is a big step because there is not a single person of color in this film. It is. However, the third movie is about the point where that exponential decline just kind of drops a little faster because movie four, he dies within the first five minutes of the movie because he survives, makes it into the fourth movie and dies within five minutes. Um, ben, there were people of color in the classroom. I just want to point uh, that out really quick. There were. police. They don't have names. Carl, Carl Winslow was in this movie. Is he? I don't know uh, who that is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. But what if he was, though? Uh, so, that yeah, I mean, I mean, the movies get, like, steadily, like, more generic, more just weird slasher-y. Freddy's pretty solid. Um, right. Uh, I know, like, with the later movies, you were saying, like, that the mythos of Freddy also gets, like, expanded Yeah, on. you get... You get uh, Nightmare on Elm Street has a really weird connection with the Catholic Church. Because um, you find out that, like, Freddy Krueger's mom was a nun. And she was trying to help out, like, these inmates at a sane asylum. And she was raped a hundred times. Um, so, Freddy Krueger is the son of a hundred maniacs. Um, it gets really, really weird. And, like, you have... You have to splash holy water on Freddy in one movie to kill him. Uh, there's like this, I'm guessing it doesn't work for that movie. It does. Uh, yeah, I mean, it gets weird, uh, and Freddy becomes more of like uh, just a wisecracking character uh, throughout the movies. Yeah, a knucklehead. Uh, and then, so of course, he, does he yeah, ever die? Does he ever actually die? Uh, no, because um, he's just a dream. Technic- technically speaking, he dies in the in the sex movie through very convoluted reasons. <laughs> um, the last ten minutes of the movie are in three D, um, oh, no. and there's like this whole like his daughter has to kill him with his own finger knives. Um, it's weird. Sounds like it. Yeah, and then you get New Nightmare, which kind of like gives you that spike back up, and it's pretty solid. And then you get Frey versus Jason, which is literally just building up to the end of that movie. So it's almost like kind of null and void. Right. And then you get the remake. And the remake's weird. Because the remake tries to add a lot of like, this is new stuff about Frey Krueger. Like he wasn't just a child like molester. He straight up raped a bunch of children. He actually raped like Nancy and Glenn and all of them. They just are so traumatized by it. They don't remember it. Um, yeah. It <laughs> You, wow, wow. Uh, <laughs> and then the remake also is like, is like maybe Freddy Krueger actually isn't real because sometimes you see people dying in the remake, but from other people's perspectives. And it's like, like there's one scene where a guy falls asleep and Freddy s- slashes his throat open with his finger knives and it cuts to the perspective of somebody watching it happen and it looks like he just takes a knife and just slits his own throat. So, I mean... The remake tries a bunch of stuff. The remake does not succeed, in my opinion. I feel like the remake is also kind of set up to fail because you're trying to remake this thing that... I mean, like you and I were talking about this earlier. I mean, you've got Freddy Krueger, who has always been Robert England. I mean, you look at Jason, you look at Mike Myers. I mean, you were saying like they've had different actors fill the role. I think nine actors have played Michael Myers and six actors have played Jason Voorhees. Right. 
And then you've got Jackie Earl Haley coming in to play Freddy Krueger. And I love Jackie Earl Haley. He gives I, it he gives it his all, and he does, like, his own take. Like, he does try to play Freddy as a very dark, sadistic character. Right, and, and like, I can't speak to how he performs in the movie. I haven't seen it, but... You were set up to fail. It's also... The movie also came out after Wes Craven died, and... I feel like that didn't help. Yeah, because they tried to get his blessing on it, and he never, like, gave it. He never, like, denounced it, but he never gave them his blessing to be like, yeah, you should do this. Um, so, yeah, that movie is a whole... It's a whole thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so all that to say, Freddy Krueger definitely stands out amongst the slasher giants. So, for the most part, I really like this movie. One thing that I did not like the end okay uh, do tell because i know i know that you don't like it i didn't really understand so yeah. with the end of this movie we've got nancy and uh freddie krueger essentially having like their final battle um freddie understand right freddie kills nancy's mom and takes her to the underworld something i don't know roasts her alive and takes her to hell right uh and then Nancy essentially denounces Freddie and says, you have no power over me. And then he's gone and she walks through the door and everybody's alive again, maybe, or maybe she actually died. No one's entirely sure. Uh, but the movie ends with her getting in the car with uh, Glenn, Rod and Tina and then getting trapped in the car while Nancy's mom gets killed again. <laughs> and no one's entirely sure what's really happening. Right. But yeah, it was weird because they tried to do the happy ending and then they're like, nope, we're going to fake you out. It's actually a dark ending. And I'm like, I kind of wish we just hadn't done any of this. Yeah. So like if if Freddie had just taken Nancy's mom and descended into hell and it ended there, I'd have been totally cool with that. Well, you know, with this being a movie that's largely about dreams and blurring the lines between dreams and reality, an ambiguous ending seems really fitting a la Inception, you know, if if a lot of the movie is working to blur the lines between dreams and reality, then a concrete ending feels like counterproductive. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But I also see what you're saying, that they, it was like they, um... They couldn't decide on how to end it. It seems like they, they knew they wanted there to be a little moment at the end where it was like, oh, but is it really a happy ending? But then it wasn't a little moment. It was like this big thing that was slapped on the end. The car freaks out and like eats them and drives away. And the top of the car is the colors of Freddy's sweater. And so you're like, oh, what? Did he possess the car? Like, what's going on? This is stuff we haven't seen. And then Freddy pulls Nancy's mom. I mean, the... And she turns into a sex doll. Right. The sex doll pull uh, through the window of the door and it's just like the effects in this movie aren't great well okay for like an 80s slasher they're good um uh i'm still gonna say they're really good but but that scene in particular was really bad so okay so to the to the point of the ending nobody likes the ending of this movie i have yet to meet someone who's like yeah that movie ends great um so okay so this is what happened this honestly does come down to the whole um to that constant struggle between a director a writer and a producer because somebody's not going to get their way in that 
So Bob Shea, who was the producer for this movie and was the executive producer for all, for every single Friday movie except for the remake. Um, I said Friday, meant Nightmare. Um, so he wanted to have a scary ending. He wanted to have an ending where, like, turns out Nancy's actually dead um, or, like, she still is in her dream and Kruger kills her. Wes Craven wanted a happy ending where basically everything that happened happens, but Nancy's just alive um, in the end and, like, she doesn't have to worry about it anymore. So they basically argued about it and said, you know what? Screw it. We'll just do both of them. Yeah, you can't have that cake. And you eat it cannot too. have your cake and eat it too. But you know the thing is, Wes Craven's version of the ending sounds like it would still be ambiguous enough to be effective. Right. You know, like if she turns around and says, "You don't have power over me anymore," and walks away, you're still kind of left wondering if this is a dream or reality. Right. So that would accomplish the same thing, the same ambiguity. Yeah, it's and like you could also close with like some shot of her like finally getting to sleep. And then, like, just hear the scrape of the of his finger cl- uh, knives right. across the window. I mean, that would have been subtle. And cut and, to credits. Yeah, I would have been ecstatic. That would have been that. subtle and brief enough that it didn't feel clunky. But the car eating them and driving away, and then pulling mom through the window—that stuff was kind of clunky. It was clunky and awkward, and everybody's just like, "What?" I do think. Go ahead. Sorry, I disagree. Oh, you liked it? I dissent. Did you like the ending? Go on. I, I did like the ending. Okay, do tell. First, Doug? Um, I, I didn't love the ending, but I mean, it was pretty good. Uh, I, I think... Uh, I liked that... I mean, I think it, it really left it open for... I assume it left it open for other movies, because like, he's still around, I guess. or I mean, He did just kind of disappear in the bed. Um, so, he's still there. He left. He's he's out there, but also, I mean, they're all like she's still haunted. They're all still haunted in some kind of way. There's some sort of supernatural thing going on. It's not explained. It doesn't have to be explained. It's the end of the movie. We know that they're going to be struggling because we see the end. Something else is going to happen. It's almost like in Back to the Future One, where Doc pulls up and he's in his car, flying car, and he's like, "We gotta go." We gotta go, and you're like, "What? I don't know what's going on." And you're like, "Well, okay, I guess we'll see it in the second movie. We'll figure out what's going on." I get what you're saying, um, but at the same time, I think they tried to make it a little too complicated for the. Interview. I don't think it was complicated at all. I, I think, I think they all were being haunted, and there were some ghosties maybe, and I don't know the kids. Why the kids coming back? Who knows. But there you go. That's it. It really puts it out there. It's not complicated. People are just back. Agree to disagree. Yeah. How's that complicated? Well, because complicated? I, I think I it's like they mean. can't decide. Like you can tell no, that they I could not decide. Know, but but watch. But you're watching the movie. You don't know anything about that. You don't know they're quarreling or whatever. You just you, you see it. That's what you see. Yeah, but even I mean, literally, Ben just said the first time he watched this, which was today. He saw it, and he and his immediate thought was, they can't decide on whether or not they want it to be a happy Who's ending they? or a. Who's they though? The director. But you didn't know that. That's what I'm saying. You didn't know. Well, but watching no. the film, my initial reaction was like, yeah, it looks like whoever wrote, directed, whatever this film couldn't decide how they wanted to end it, whether they wanted a happy ending or whether they wanted an ambiguous ending. So they tried to do both, and 
I didn't, I didn't get that. I guess I just didn't get that. For what it's worth, I... Uh, I'm happy you liked it. Oh, yeah. Like, more power to you for liking you it. You don't have to be, but thanks. Well, I am. Um, for because what it's worth... You, for what it's worth, uh, the remake actually does a better ending. Um, so, the remake... Let me see if I can set this up exactly right. So, the remake, Nancy and her mom... Nancy kills Freddy, obviously. Um, she brings... Her mom brings her home, and they're just kind of they they hug. They have like some some final words, and the way the camera's positioned is it's like from Nancy's POV, um, and you see Freddie or her mom standing in front of this uh, mirror, and you see Freddie like just appear behind her mom, reaches through the mirror and pulls her mom through, and you just get a shot of Nancy screaming and then cuts to credits. So I'm guessing Nancy's mom doesn't die twice in the No, she has not died twice. Okay. He lives in mirrors now? He lives in mirrors now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that the ending, uh, is definitely something that Remains to be desired. However, something I am going to take you a task on are the effects in this movie. Because the effects in this movie are awesome. They're great. Uh, Tristan, I know that when uh, I know that when you first saw this movie, one of the most well-known scenes really stuck out to you and caught you off guard. Um, and that's Tina's death. Uh, would, would you would you care to elaborate on that? Sure. I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't expect this to happen, but... I mean, she she gets killed in the dream and it actually wounds her. She gets sliced across her chest, pretty extremely badly, like death, like deathly badly. And then she is picked up by Freddy, I guess. I assume you don't see it though. You're just in the bedroom. You're watching from her boyfriend's perspective, who was in the bedroom, and he's like, you're not seeing her being picked up, but you are seeing her lift off the ground. So you don't know what really doing it but you kind of know and then she's like she's bleeding all over the place and she smacks the ceiling and is up on the wall and you're just watching this whole thing it's it's probably like it's at least 30 seconds long of you just watching this happen to her and it's horrifying and then she died and then she falls in the bed and she's dead and like did not expect that to happen at all i didn't even expect her to lift off the ground i didn't expect her to get hurt in the real world because it's a dream so that was all new to me. I will say I was a big fan of how that scene was shot. Um, uh, but I guess what I mean in terms of not liking the effects, um, I mean, you know, there's a scene with a sex doll that really stands out to me. Um, also, in that same scene, like seeing the cuts appear on her body, like it's, it took me out of it a little bit because like it was very clearly not her. Like it just kind of looked like a like a light tan plastic that was being cut but it was so fast i, I didn't yeah. notice i guess i didn't think about that i think the only thing that the only reason that i notice it is because it's been pointed out to me before is that she gets sliced on her chest and they they show her shirt like get ripped open and it's literally just a flat chest and that shouldn't take me out of it, but like somebody pointed out to me one time it watching took me this, out of it a little bit, and I was the just, rest of the scene, and I was just like, it. "Huh, yeah, that that's a that's a good point." What's really cool though is that 
Wes Craven used a lot of his budget to build that room that he could flip upside down. Because, um, I mean, obviously that's how they did it. They positioned right. the camera to be upside down and just shot the room upside down. But what's funny is they used it for two scenes. They used it for Tina's death scene and they used it for Glenn's uh because that's how the water, or that's how the blood comes oh, through the yeah, bed. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the problem is that when they used it for Glenn's scene, the gyroscope on the room broke. And that's why, if you look at that scene, all the blood pulls to one side of the room. And, like, the sheets are, like, yeah. are like folding off to one side. Uh, but they had broken at that point. And they were like, well, we can't reshoot it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah. It's still... For the most part, it looks really good. Yeah, it looks. That's great. a that's a fun and disgusting piece of trivia. I'm glad you shared that. I also love that this film relies solely on practical effects. One of my favorite effects, uh, one of my favorite effects in this movie, is uh, right at the beginning of the movie, right before Tina dies, Nancy's laying in bed, and you see Freddie like lean through her wall, like it's like he's like stretching through, like like silicone or something that was kind of gross um well what's really cool is they redo that scene in the remake and it's all cg um but in this literally what they did was they had a piece of drywall cut a hole in it stretched stretched spandex over it and painted it the same color as the wall and robert england just leaned through the spandex it's pretty scary. It's I mean it's very effective but it's just like that's just cool because like that's just how you did it like it's 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 crazy that that's all it would take because of course like that just makes sense. It's really creative. Yeah, because I wouldn't think of that. No. Did did Stranger Things steal from that this movie uh, in that way? I still have not seen Stranger Things. Okay. Neither have I. You probably should. I know. I actually own the first season on DVD. I just haven't <laughs> watched it. Wow. So are you ready to give this a rating? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So uh, if this is your first time listening to us. Uh, we use a 1 to 100 scale. You can kind of think of it like an American grade scale. You know, A, B, C, D, F. No E's, Doug. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's it. Uh, so who wants to give us their score first? I'll go first. Thank you, Tristan. You know, didn't have to think hard about this one. It just feels right. It just feels right. I'm not going to give it a zero because we can't. I'm actually not going to give it anywhere close to zero. I'm going to give it a 75. Because I think it was okay. Uh, overall, it was cool. Did I care to see it again? Do I really like want to see it again? Not really. Did it teach me anything about life? No. <laughs> no, it didn't. I mean, if that's how we're grading, and that's movies. important to me. I mean, I, I just I think it, it gets no points. If for nothing me about else, life. if nothing else, it taught you. If your best friend slash significant other comes to you and says, "Hey," I'm going to go sleep, but you cannot fall asleep. You have one job. Do not fall asleep. Hey. It taught us don't be a Glenn. Yeah, please don't. Bless his heart. Uh, I was going to say uh, some, something I probably should have mentioned earlier because it's too late to talk about it now. But there is the whole thing with like the idea of the, the parents' personal demons and how their children are actually the ones to suffer for it. There's something there's something kind of deep going on there in this movie. Yeah, I really like that when they uh, bring that up with uh, Nancy's mom being yeah. part of the group that 
uh, killed him originally. Yeah, that was interesting. That does teach you about life a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, I was also going to give it a 75, just like Tristan, and we didn't collaborate on it or nothing. But uh, I, I think this movie loses points for me because it's a little clunky and because this just isn't my kind of movie anyway. And also there were moments where I looked at Ben and said, 80s. So <laughs> That's accurate. He actually yeah, did that. That's um, fair. But also. I, I also would say this is a good movie, and I'm glad I watched it. All right. Uh, well, I can go next. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I mean, like I said, I watched it twice today, and I wouldn't have if I didn't enjoy it. Uh, so I'm going to go a little bit higher than Tristan and Elijah. Uh, I think this movie definitely has its faults. Um, but especially like in terms of slasher and horror movies, this is definitely one of the better ones. Uh, I am going to give this an 83 because, yeah, I th- I th- sounds good. We did not plan this, uh, but I'm going just one point above you. Oh, I thought you were going to give um, it an 83 too. No, I'm not going to give it an 83. I am going to give it an 84 because I think this movie's amazing um like i considered it i considered putting it on my top 20 list i I considered moving moving some stuff around um and maybe i will uh but no i mean i think this is a great movie i think i think wes craven's just a genius um i think robert england's acting is unparalleled um, no, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, after plugging that all into our patented scorometer, uh, we get a final score of a 79.25. So it's a pretty solid movie. They almost got to be on this. Almost. But you two drug it down. Yeah, that is the question. That is the question. Would they, would they curve this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe, but yeah. Well, folks, that does it for us on Horror October. Hey, Doug, ask me what we're watching next week. Ben, what are we watching next week? Well, Doug, I'm glad you asked. Oh, mercy. Uh, We have a wonderful opportunity next week. Uh, As we've mentioned before, uh, we used to have a podcast called Some Jerks Who Talk About Movies. Well, next week, we are revisiting an old Some Jerks Who Talk About Movies episode where we talked about a particular movie called Legally Blonde. Only this time, we're going to have someone on who actually knows what they're talking about. A thing or two about law. Right. It will be the first time in history we've had a guest who knew what they were talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm including myself in that. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, it'll be a fun time. It'll. Uh, we're doing a few redo episodes that we've already kind of got planned. This will be the first one. Uh, but yeah, it'll be a fun time. I hope you all check it out. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out our website, vitermedia.com. You can also check us out on social media and wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, But yeah, until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And this has been Setting the Skein. Y'all have a great week. (laughs) 